0: Residential to smart the home Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. In this episode, I'm joined by Mark Feinberg, President of Home Theater Advisors, a custom integration firm specializing in middle market projects in New York City. Unlike so many companies in the home technology space who may scoff at more modest projects, Mark embraces the idea of taking on projects in the $2,000 to $30,000 range, noting in his marketing that no project is too small. I'm not saying that that's what he always wants to do, but at least he embraces it, which is cool to hear. And thanks, Mark, for joining us today. It's good to see you. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. Great to see you. Yeah, and like I said, I, I, I know that y- you would love to have the bigger projects when you, when you can get them. But um, I, I just think that it's, it's notable that the way you kind of entered the market, you've, you've kind of taken on all comers, essentially. And I wanted to ask you, um, well, first of all, one of the, one of the connections we have is um, Todd Anthony Puma, who on an earlier podcast I interviewed... And in that episode, I joked with Todd about in his residential systems blogs that I used to edit, he would often turn to anecdotes involving his good friend, Mark Feinberg. (laughs) And for the longest time, I didn't really know much about you. Um, But it it became kind of a running joke with John Siaka, another uh, residential systems writer and me about uh, how many times your name came up. So we we said we're going to turn it into a drinking game, kind of like the old Hi Bob, uh, Bob Newhart show drinking game. And so I think you got wind of that, and and uh, kind of got a got a laugh out of it. But
1: Absolutely. How, how how was the game? Was it pretty good?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. You didn't get too drunk. Probably just a little buzz. You got maybe a couple of shots at uh, uh,
0: an article. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not <laughs> great when you're editing in the middle of the afternoon and <laughs> it's true. you're playing the drinking game. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, one of the things that, that I did learn early on was that you didn't necessarily, and we can we met at Cedia as well after that, um, that you didn't come from this industry early on. Like a lot of, a lot of people that are in this industry, you, you sort of switched careers. Um, and so when, when would this have happened? How old were you, I guess, as a mile mark there uh, to understanding how long it was before you joined the industry? Sure. I
1: started in the industry, um, actually working at ADI, I ran product management and marketing because they are, they're headquartered out in Melville, New York on Long Island, and I'm in New York City. So it's like an an hour commute. And I was there for about a year. I probably went to ADI, I was in my late 30s. Um, And then when I left ADI, I, you know, I'd always had a passion for this industry and for, you know, for, very often, I shouldn't say for this industry, I, didn't, I probably didn't even, like most of our clients didn't, barely knew this industry existed. Um, but I had a passion for consumer electronics and I was the one who always helped my friends, you know, buy a new TV and connect things up. In college, I'm the one who split cable 17 times. So everyone in my fraternity had free cable. Um, So when I uh, had the opportunity at ADI, I learned a lot more about the custom integration side of things and left there. And I'd always, one of the things I had always said in my career was I wanted to be closer to the customer. I'd started out in management consulting at one of those big, you know, mega consulting firms that that worked with the fortune 500, you know, all jammed in a conference room, putting together pretty presentations or decks for the, for the client to have when we left. Uh, then I went to, uh, the apparel industry where I was Doing corporate strategy and finance work, and then I would, and then I moved into marketing, which was kind of always my passion. And from there, I was getting closer to the customer. That was kind of the goal all along: was understanding the customer more. And I realized there's no better way to be closer to the customer than to be in their home. So when I left ADI and and had the idea to start up the. This business uh, it was uh, you know melding of, of a few great things I'd always wanted to do my own thing but never had a great idea of what I could do as starting my own business um, I wanted I loved I was passionate about the product in the industry and I got closer to the customer so kind of did did checked all the boxes for me
0: and and when were you connected with Todd Puma when, when did that happen
1: it was actually very early on um, I was a lone gunman out there as myself doing, you know, doing everything from finance and marketing to installing to mounting TVs, kind of grabbing a friend when I needed somebody. I was, I was almost a prototypical trunk slammer probably. <laughs> um, and I, there was an article in, I think it was Resi Systems or CE Pro. I can't remember. It was a profile of Todd and his business. And there was a sidebar about the, uh, home theater rebuild. Cause this was 2011. So it was, you know, the re- rebuilding after the, uh, the, the market crash in 2008. Right. And it was about how he wanted to help integrators whose businesses had failed or people who are getting off their feet, do it right. And uh, he was in the New York, New Jersey area. And I reached out to him. Uh, he took me under his wing. We, we, I went to job sites with him. Um, critically, he loaned me one of his lead installers. So I, you know, being a nice upper east side Jewish boy, am um, not so handy and and great at the manual labor part. My <laughs> my expertise is more the technology uh, and the business side of things. So having somebody who really understood construction and understood, uh, you know, especially in New York City, dealing with whether it's Latin plaster or it's sheetrock or it's cinder block walls, we have a whole host of different construction issues here. Uh, who understood that knew how to run the wire was great. So his his installer worked with me every Friday that I needed him and that bridged the gap for me to get off the ground between uh, hiring somebody full-time mm-hmm. and doing it myself because I didn't have enough work to hire somebody full-time I would have lost money if I'd done that and but I didn't it was how do you how did you make that jump to, to being busy enough and having him every Friday was enough to be busy enough for him to be on the job site um, anything I had to get done later and you know the following week I knew how to do he would kind of Coach me through what had to happen a little bit and then you know that's really how home theater advisors kind of got off the ground and and was able to grow and get to the point where I could start hiring my own installers.
0: Very good yeah that's uh that's an interesting uh start there um the fact that you're not a not a necessarily a hands-on technical guy out of the gate um it does remind me of my uh my, my wife's grandmother who lived in Fort Lee when when she was alive and uh Every now and then, I would go over there. Uh, I'm not Jewish. I, I'm I'm married to a Jewish woman, and so uh, I would go there and sh- I would change light bulbs and do different things for her. And she just she she was that dramatic New Yorker type personality, and she'd say, Jeremy the things you do for me, it's so, so uh, amazing. All the things that you can do, you know, and I, I turned to my wife and I said, Jewish women are so easily impressed by that sort of <laughs> like simple stuff that I, that I, Absolutely. you know, having to do, you know. But, it's the same thing uh, here at home.
1: Well, my wife can't believe what I'm capable of doing now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very good, I love it, yeah. Um, so, so Home Theater Rebuild, um, I, I remember Todd was mentioning something about sort of uh, the pricing structure and not devaluing, exactly sort of that type of thing. Can you get into a little bit more of explain, explaining some of the methodology or, or theories or concepts there that you were working with?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was, again, it was after the recession, lots of people, lots of dealers were really just undercutting on price to get any work they could. And that was one of Todd's uh, big mantras was don't undercut yourself, don't discount because if, you know, as I knew from corporate America, but he kind of brought it to life was if you cut your labor rate 50, if you cut your profit margin 50% on a job in order to win it, you've now got to work twice as hard to make the same amount of money you worked you made last year, you've got to land twice as many jobs. Do you really think you're going to be able to do that? And that was how he got through to a lot of the people he worked with in the rebuild was really, Helping them do that very simple math, um, and and so not discounting, not devaluing yourself, not devaluing the value we add to a home was the big message.
0: Very good. And what um, you kind of evolved in terms of your input with Todd, then, and the reason he ended up mentioning you so often on the in the column or the blog was that. You were doing some different things than he was doing, so he could refer to your your interest in something new that wasn't necessarily within his um, his his product line. And so, um, where did you, as as sort of a one man band with maybe some some small staff, growing as a company, right? uh, How did you differ as companies from each other in that early those early days?
1: Yeah, I I, I think Todd in those early days, Todd was probably doing 20 to $50,000 jobs, I'm going to guess. And I was blown away. I couldn't imagine that you could, that people were spending that much money on this and that we would land those kinds of jobs. Um, And it's always kind of that, that Differential has always kind of remained. He was uh, at the time. I think he was doing a lot of URC work. Um, he was you know, working with total control, and then he transitioned over to Dron years and years ago, and has always just been in the world. He had celebrity clients back then, who kind of who kept referring him on to other celebrities, and his business was just a different scale of project than. I seemed to be landing, and that I was comfortable with I, I, I probably somewhat undersold myself at the time, um, you know a little afraid to grow too fast and make a mistake and not my biggest fear was disappointing a client and not doing a job well and, and, and stretching myself too far beyond my knowledge of my skills. you know Todd and I became very close friends, we still are, and that's I always at least had that fallback of oh my God, if I got myself in too much trouble, I knew Todd could you know he 'd been in the industry for eight or nine years by the time he and I had become friends. So I always had his expertise and knowledge to fall back on. At least, uh, he is now, you know, doing even, even larger projects. Um, and I'm you know, in that what I call the middle market for New York, which I, th- I think my marketing says two to three, 2000 to 30,000. It's probably now more 5,000. Well, so probably 2000, but I'm going, I'm now targeting those 50 to $75,000 jobs as well.
0: Okay. So, tell me about how that process of uh, client base works in New York. Cause I only think of the major markets as these mega projects and these, you know, brownstones and things. And, you know, right. unfortunately for our industry, there's a big drop off in terms of our connection with clients after that down to the, the more mainstream middle market kind of client. And, right. yeah, you're, you're, I mean, like you said, $30,000. For most people, it's like, that's a lot of money for, for, you know, AV gear. Right. Nothing to scoff at, but relative to, you know, half a million or something crazy what are you looking at in terms of these types of projects? What, what are, what are they um, typically trying to accomplish in these, um, these, these homes in New York, these condos or uh, um, co-ops that you might work on?
1: Right. And I think that's the big difference is, is the size. So going from a brownstone, which people who aren't from New York is, you know, a a standalone, usually four or five story building. That's a single home structure uh, in the city that, you know, butts another, another building right next to it. Uh, but, but you know, that can be five, four or 5,000 square feet, which in the city is enormous, uh, to, you know, I do mostly condos and co-ops, which are owned apartments. And there you're working, looking at everything from 800 square feet to, you do get to three, 4,000 square feet sometimes. But once you're in an apartment... Um, some of the subsystems go away, so that's also what affects the scope and scale. Not doing any security cameras because you don't need it. Not doing any alarm systems because you're in a doorman building. Um, not doing door locks because the building won't even allow you to change the, what the look of your door is on your apartment. So you, a lot of times you can't even put in a, a secondary door lock. Um, many of these apartments are not central air; they're windowed, you know, they're, win- they're through-wall air conditioning or um, CTAC units, PTAC units. So there's no HVAC work. So it tends to be mostly um, AV networking and some smart home in terms of lighting. Smart home really comes down to lighting and shading and the occasional thermostat. That tends to be the, the smart home. And you're, you're talking fewer square footage, fewer rooms, so fewer lighting loads. You know, I might do... You know, my apartment, for example, is about twelve is a little under twelve hundred square feet. I think I've got thirteen or fourteen lighting loads. It's not a huge smart lighting job, and I think that's where the scope and scale uh, changes for me is that I'm doing mostly call one to three four bedroom apartments as opposed to doing a five five thousand square foot townhouse.
0: and how's the evolution worked for you in terms of your product mix? Uh, Todd mentions to, in his articles, and and we've talked about it uh, that he 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 really respects that you're not afraid to put something on your workbench and try it out. You know, obviously you you want to make sure it's bulletproof before you start selling it, installing it. But he he might get kind of set in his ways and doing something a certain way. But he he reaches out to you and says, you know, for instance, early days of Snap AV, he wasn't really. Right accepting of that and you were and so so what what's the evolution look like for you in terms of product mix um
1: a lot of it is i, I either see it, sometimes it's something i see at cedia i'm like ooh, that looks interesting and fun let me buy one or two of those and play with it um i usually plug it in at home my house my apartment is my test bench uh much to my family's consternation sometimes <laughs> right they we're not, they're not happy when I. They were not happy that I was uh, testing out different control systems and I changed the remote controls on them every every couple of years. Um, but that's really what it is. I'm, I I see something whether I see it in the marketing, I see um, an article in the trade press, and it just catches my attention. Or it's just something that I I've early on it was something maybe I used myself. I used Sonos. I had a Sonos Play One when I was starting the industry. Um, and a lot of it comes from also I was when I first started out, I was more willing to try new things because I wasn't set in my ways and didn't know things. I'm getting a little more set in my ways now. The longer I've been in the industry, I'm, I'm kind of married to Control 4, um, you know, and I do a lot of Sonos as well. Uh, Snap AV, I got into really because, you know, at ADI, we were a little afraid of them. They were the new upstart, you know, they had the the great website and everybody was excited about Snap AV. And so when I, when I left ADI, I was like, okay, these, you know, these guys kind of really get this industry and they're focused on the AV category and they have a nice streamlined product set. And that's kind of what I look for as a streamlined product set, uh, um, product assortment. It's really hard when the product assortment is so broad. I don't even know what to choose or what to pick. Um, So a lot of it is who's going to support me in terms of technical support. Uh, I will only work with products that have real technical support that I can call into. And while a company like Sonos, it is the consumer tech support line you get they're still quite good. Um, but if it's a company, there are some companies out there uh, that will go nameless that don't offer any call-in tech support. Um, I know others in the industry will use them, but I, I, I can't be left hanging like that on a client project and, and run into an issue and have no one to help me.
0: Before we continue our conversation, uh, Mark, I just need to take a short break to sure. get a word from our sponsor. Thank you for listening to Residential Tech Talks. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Elk Products, a leading designer and manufacturer of customized security, automation, and energy management solutions for home and business with unsurpassed product quality and technical support. Secure, reliable, innovative. Control at your fingertips. Find out more today. Go to elkproducts.com. Welcome back, I'm talking to Mark Feinberg. I'm Jeremy Glawacki from Residential Tech Today. And Mark, I wanted to um, discuss the topic that we have to discuss on every podcast, which is the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And particularly because of your uh, location in New York City. I know it really was, um, it really hamstrung you during the early days Absolutely. because New York really shut down. Um, I talked to Todd about that as well. And uh, he had, you know, he, he comes in from New Jersey, but uh, you're right there in the city. Did everything just completely stop work-wise for you for a while?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, uh, while we were still essential workers, it our challenge was that, or at least for, for my business, most of our work is in high-rise condo buildings, which have doormen. And they just would not let you in. There was absolutely no way they shut down all work. I mean, I had clients who were mid gut renovation and work just stopped and they sat on it for three months that they were, you know, living in a temporary housing and, and I had one client who was a week away from moving in and couldn't, couldn't move in. So, um, everything completely shut down. I had a couple of smaller projects that kept me going a little bit in, um, some non doorman buildings and one small, um, uh, re, not re, more of a retrofit in a townhouse. Okay. So those kept me afloat along with the PPP money uh, for the three months that New York was completely shut down. Uh, we opened phase one of New York reopening, which I think was in early June. Um, buildings started letting us back in. Uh, they okay. still have a lot of restrictions. They still say only for any job site, only two con- two people are allowed to work on That job side of the time, so you can imagine that if you've got you know a sheet rocker, a painter, um, electrician, a plumber, us pick two bodies you can put in at any given day, right? <laughs> it, makes it, little, it makes it a little tough to get the work done, um, but still, think, you know, things are picking up. Uh, proposals are co- you know, requests for proposals are coming in left and right, and the volume is definitely picking up now, which is a really great sign. People realized. How how bad their their network and their um, AV was. I mean, I mean, you're hearing that nationally. Uh, and one thing I, I know nationally, a lot of people never slowed down yeah. where it was less, where it was less acute. It was so acute in New York, people were afraid to have anyone into their home. Right. And some still, some still are. There are still, especially people who are at high risk, are not going to come back into this market until there's a, a vaccine.
0: How, how besides following those protocols that are forced on you with the two person um, right. operation, how, how have your protocols changed as a company going into a residence now um,
1: you know it's it, the toughest thing is probably encouraging the client to maintain distance they kind of Forget, you know, because they're in their house, so they forget to put on a mask, or they don't want to put on a mask because they're in their own home, and they still want to be in the room and watch what we're doing. Sometimes, especially in some of the smaller things, so it's asking them to, you know, please you know, respect our safety and maintain distance. And we we send that communication out to them and, ha- and have that discussion beforehand, but it still sometimes happens. So that's probably the biggest challenge, you know, wearing a mask, wearing gloves not the end of the world it's you know you, you buy some more comfortable masks gloves can sometimes be a challenge when you're working with finer things they get caught up in you know in like coax screws and things like that or, or uh so it can be a little tough uh with the gloves sometimes but um you know if the client is home if there's no client on site if it's more of a construction site it's just masks right so it's it's and we have hand san- we keep hand sanitizer with us and we wash our hands as soon as we walk into a client's home if it's a, if it's a the residence they're living in it's just a just a a little bit slower getting things done now but it's not it's not that bad
0: and are you starting to get any new requests um or or are you exploring other technologies because of the experience you've gone through with this i know networking obviously and um, working with video conferencing are are you looking at any video conferencing platforms that are different or anything new technology yeah
1: I've looked at it a little bit. I mean, there are some platforms out there that are kind of an all-in-one almost soundbar that has the camera, and you could put a little nuke computer in there, and um, you know, and do a full video conferencing uh, with with more of a soundbar than the TV. You know, it feels like most of my clients. Are, you know, that's really what I think people at home want to use for those family Zoom calls. Yeah. And then they kind of see the price of it, and at least in my experience, say, mm, no, maybe not. Not worth it for the family Zoom calls. Yeah. Because for work, everyone the in all honesty, for work, people need a webcam, a good webcam, um, better lighting, You know, uh, maybe dual monitors. And frankly, we don't really want to get into their computers. Yeah. We're happy to do the networking. But once we start connecting webcams and putting in wireless keyboards and setting up dual monitors, well, now we've become their IT department. And whenever something goes wrong with that computer, I'm afraid we're going to get the phone call if they get a virus or if something else happens on the computer. Um, and that's just not... Our skill set, so I we're we're shying away from a lot of that. I mean, I looked into it and I really was pretty gung ho about it until I kind of kind of delved deeper and realized it's going to make me their their true IT person, not just their network expert. And I wasn't ready for that.
0: And another um, idea that I think came up that a lot of folks who have been re- reluctant in this industry to do remote uh, service and have have these systems for recurring revenue, even um said oh this is really the time to start selling this because we could be in there helping someone out if they're not comfortable being in us being in their home are you have you done do you do a lot of remote service with existing uh you know previous jobs right or is this something that you're going to expand because of covid
1: yeah we definitely do a lot of remote remote systems we put um, an oversee platform for, uh, into almost every job, whether it's the hub or built into the routers, um, we put IP um, wa- IP power conditioners, watt boxes, the um, network gear. We can all, you know, it's all kind of ties into oversee. So we've been providing that for a long time. Um, early on, it was it was really, you know, free service. Yeah. Um, I was having I was struggling with how to structure re- uh, service plans, and then I, I knew the my big missing piece was offering 24 seven support. And as a small shop with just myself and two Installers slash techs really could not reliably offer 24-7 support um, One vision was was priced out of our range for a small shop like us and for the size jobs we do And then I got really excited when Parasol came around um, I was uh, very early on board with Parasol really once they opened up out of their internal beta and open to the general uh, integrator population and we, we've been with Parasol now I th- think it's now two years i guess since they went live okay. and that was the game changer that allowed me to launch support plans get recurring revenue um and that uh, I, I, I was using it a lot during the lockdown helping clients who had it and i'm now not shy to charge people who don't Sign up for a support plan for that remote support um, because they had the option to pay. So it's really helped our our remote support revenue, both in recurring monthly revenue and in one-off charges. It's been a and and it's a game changer. Clients really value it now too. They they don't want someone coming in their house, so it's become an easier sell too.
0: That's great to hear. I I I know those uh, those offerings, and I I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of companies who are actually using them. So it's great to hear a success story there. And yeah. I think per- that's perfect timing to start adding that to the to your mix if you're not already. Yeah. Um, wh- what about working with manufacturers during um, this, this whole stretch of time? Um, I, I'm, I'm imagining that you're probably not doing at your stage in your career as much training as maybe um, junior techs coming up, maybe learning some new things might have to be doing some virtual training are you having uh, manufacturer communication things that uh, are different than they were before because everyone's virtual
1: yeah i mean it was actually great i mean all the trainings that were offered and, and you know a lot of the manufacturer trainings were really product information so it was a great opportunity to learn about Either product lines we're not using, uh, brands we're not using now, and learn more about them, or even product lines within manufacturers we're currently working with, but we're not using that particular product line to really learn a lot more about what's out there and what our opportunities are. Um, I use that. I did some of the CEDIA trainings that you know, they would opened up their entire, entire training catalog, and I worked through some of those. Early on, I was I was doing everything. I was I I I really probably for about a month um, tried to treated as if I was still in an office every day all day for you know four to six hours at least so I was doing a lot of trainings updating my website um, you know working on marketing and brochures and doing whatever I could to kind of keep that momentum going kind of petered out after probably six weeks or so I got a little zoomed out at that point Um, but the trainings I thought were uh, fantastic that what everyone was doing to keep the, the, the industry educated and occupied uh, and informed. I thought was fantastic. Snap did a lot of great ones. Hmm. Control 4 had a weekly um, uh, kind of tech. One of their, to- their top trainers did it every Friday, did a, um, uh, a topic for about an hour on different key things and, and little tips and tricks throughout the, the programming software that was huge. I watched those every Friday. Um, you know, Sonos did things. And I watched things from Origin Acoustics and, and, and many other companies. They all had Great information out there, and it really, you know, as you said, like earlier, as we talked about how to how do I learn about products to bring in and, and, and bench test. That was a good way to to bring some things in and bench test. I played
0: with nice. <laughs> well, that that's a hidden little side side benefit of, of terrible time, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you know, we always we always try to look at tech trends ahead, and and we've talked about some of the the COVID related ones that have cropped up. But what about uh, some of the other things like um you know healthy healthy home in general are you exploring anything about that yet um in terms of either the lighting aspects or ventilation or anything that you could do with with clients there in new york i know it's limited with the uh, big buildings but uh what are you looking right. at in terms of trends ahead
1: I mean, I, I, yeah i think some of the the catcher like lighting and the, and the circadian rhythm lighting i think could be an opportunity i think in the in the price point and market i'm in i don't it's at this point it it hasn't come down to the price point where i think it works in in my client base um you know we we sometimes struggle just to sell traditional uh smart lighting automated lighting so that i think is an opportunity down the line some of the you know uh, air filtering and, and air purification is a lot tougher because you are talking about, you know, room air conditioners and radiators. Uh, you're not really, or or electric baseboard heating. You don't have, you know, I haven't delved into what the product really is. My guess is it really ties into a centralized HVAC system and filtration system. So probably wouldn't work for a lot of my, the systems and the clients I'm working with. Um, and and I, and I, and frankly, I think I'm leaving that more to the HVAC professionals just because that's the air handling is their expertise. Um, you know, I, I, we're still focusing on on really the traditional, you know, better networking. Um, I think one thing we're seeing is is still this trend towards more, um, a lot of the consumer grade products, um, you know, in a lot of the retrofit situations we have. You know, we, we love um, ruckus and access networks for our networking, for our Wi-Fi solutions, but, you know, people want better, that better, system but they aren't sometimes in a retrofit situation when that's all they're doing they see that price ticket and they kind of have a little little heart attack so uh, you know some of the more consumer grade mesh networks if we're not putting in a control system if we're just upgrading the wi-fi and they're not doing control systems they're really just want a better network in their homes aero has been a Nominal success story for us for that, especially where we can't run wires. We don't have attics or basements to run wires through. Um, the only way to get a wire from point A to point B is cutting a hole every fourteen inches through a, for, to get through the studs. Mesh is really the only solution for us, um, and that's been quite successful for us. Uh, look, looking down the pike, I'm I'm seeing more of those kind of consumer grade things. You know, you know, the ring doorbell is something people love, and, and I'm hoping what happens is some of that. Technology trickles up to our industry into the more professional-grade products, mm-hmm. so we can continue to sell things that integrate better, uh, are more reliable, provide better remote support capabilities, but have the feature sets and are at a more compelling price point um, to compete with uh, with what's with what the consumer-grade brands are coming out with. I think that's where our opportunity is: is really being able to take some of that technology that's out there at the consumer-grade brands and integrate it. Uh, or adapt it to the professional grade product so that we can integrate it better
0: yeah that that definitely is is something I could see and in, in that budget that you're talking about and to be the the consultant the advisor um, that they can trust that, that comes mm-hmm. in and says yes this is something you've heard of and it would work in your, your, um, your home, but this one maybe not so much yet. Uh, we're not exactly. seeing support from that. So that's, that's a great service you can provide as well. Um, Mark, thank you so much um, for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thanks for having me, Jerry. I really I really enjoyed the talk, it was, this was great.
0: And also thanks for everybody to, uh, for joining us and be sure to comment, share, or subscribe to the podcast. You can check out all the latest residential tech news at ResTechToday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.